Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lovstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff at Lovstofan are grateful that you are joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The following was recorded on Sunday, June 18, 2023. Today's message title, One-on-One with Jesus, a message from John chapter 4. There's nothing really, when you think about when I look at myself, Tovin, there's nothing really remarkable about me. But one thing that I'm convinced about that I'm very sure did the depth of my heart is that um, Christ in me is what makes the difference. Um, just knowing that Christ is in me, um, it just, you know, takes away whatever, you know, weakness, just like Moses, um, when God called him, he was like, you know, I, I don't really know how, you know, to navigate this, but, you know, God was with him. And the Bible makes us understand that in the book of First Corinthians one twenty seven that God uses the foolish things to compound the wise. That, that's how God is. Um, the Bible says in the book of Acts, for seeing verse 13, that um, after the feet of God came upon the disciples, uh, Peter and John were at the, at the gate called Beautiful, and then they met a man that was lame from birth. And, you know, so the man was just, at that point, he was asking for, for home. He was like, um, you know, can you give me something? But um, the Peter and John, or Peter speaking, knowing fully where what had happened to him, because before this time, you know, they were afraid, they were ready to hide. But knowing what had happened to them, he said, silver or gold, I don't have. For what I have, I would be. So the Bible says he, he, he spoke healing for the man and the man got up and he was walking. So that's what God can do. But when the people, when the Pharisees heard about this, they were kind of like, uh, who is this man? When they heard about them, they were like, these men, they, they sound very unlearned. They were, they were like common men. But one thing that stood out from them is kind of like, they, they were like, this week for a spend time with Jesus. Uh, that's why I titled my message today is, you know, one-on-one with Jesus. Uh, that's what I titled my message. I guess it's one-on-one with Jesus. So it's, uh, the text is taken from uh, John 4, from verse 1 to 26. Um, although when we when we come to Christ or when we have an encounter with Jesus, um, it's personal. It's a personal experience that we have coming to Jesus, but what happens in our lives, the impact that it has in our lives is far reaching, goes beyond just us. And that we can see the life of this, the, uh, the, the disciples of the apostles of well, Jesus Christ. They spend time with Jesus. So what happened in their life afterwards, they, 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 they went out. They went out. That's what, you know, spending time with Jesus will do. Um, like I said, we're going to be considering John 4, verse 1 to 26. It's a very familiar, familiar scripture of the Bible. And it talks about the woman at the well. Uh, when we think about the woman at the well, it's very, it's very easy for us to come to the conclusion that, oh, that's just one more sinner that Jesus reached. And uh, that's all. But, you know, when I started reading it, um, the book of John chapter 1, um, up to the end, 
I, it was a really long, it was a really long chapter, but um, I'm like, okay, there's no way I will be able to cover everything, but I'm just going to you know, just um, cover this part of it. But like I said, what really stood to me is that um, this part of scripture tells us that God is with us. And for me, that's profound. Um, God is not far from us. Jesus, we know why Jesus came. He came with a ministry of reconciliation. He came with a ministry to restore humanity and to restore all those that were lost back to him. That's why Jesus came. And this is quite profound. Like I said, beyond Jesus reaching out to this woman at the well, we can see it also demonstrates that God was with us. We can see that um, God came into the broken word, uh, the brokenness of this word as it is, and begins to make everything new. Uh, we see that just by the encounter that Jesus had with this woman at the well, you know, generational differences that existed in the past was broken. That we're going to see as we consider this, uh, this portion of the Bible. Um, I want us to turn our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be reading two verse, um, 26. Uh, so John 4 from verse 1 to 26. I think uh, I might have put too much on this particular slide. I'm missing some slides, but I'll just follow through with, um, where is she? Yes. The Bible says that now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making them baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, uh, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. For, uh, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Uh, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside a well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, uh, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is to saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living waters. Hallelujah. Uh, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and, do, and, and did his son and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water uh, that I will give him will never, thirst, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up for eternal life. The woman said to, to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not serve her. I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Uh, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. 
for you have five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, so I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Uh, Jesus said to her, women, believe me, the hour is coming when, the, uh, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers of but the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seek in such people to worship him. God is the spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Uh, that's the word of the Lord. Um, you know, just reading this uh, passage, and then if you look at verse uh, verse one there, there was a mention of uh, a group of people called Pharisees. And uh, this uh, the Pharisees were kind of an interesting group of people. They were um, more or less uh, people that you would call uh, lawyers or custodian of uh, the Jewish law at that time. But um, this, they were, they, 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 they kind of like hired themselves as fundamentalists, where they feel like um, they were the you know, sort of like the people of the Lord and, and in a way that, um, you know, every other person is wrong. Whatever opinion the other, other people have was wrong, but whatever they had to say about the law was what is, is right. And then uh, just, you know, from the experience with Jesus and what, what he was doing, the Bible says that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power that he went, he went about doing good. Um, the way that Jesus went about his ministry, he sort of irritated his people. And then they saw him, they wanted to kill him. And if you look at verse one, um, there he says that, um, you know, Jesus learned that the Pharisees have heard of him. So um, Jesus, in his, in his response or whatever opinion he have out of his people, um, which was very true, he, he, he knew that the way they actually dispensed the Lord or um, um, adjudicated on the Lord, it wasn't, it wasn't full of grace. It wasn't full of justice. It wasn't full of faithfulness. They were just, they were just more concerned about um, whatever they're doing right in comparison with those that were outside. So, and yeah, that was why they had a problem with Jesus and that they, they didn't recognize him as the Messiah. They didn't, they didn't want to acknowledge him. And Jesus called them hypocrite. That um, they, being concerned of the Lord, being uh, people that understood the Lord, they didn't practice what they preach. That was what Jesus, Jesus' opinion about these guys. And which wasn't wrong. In a lot of ways, when you see Jesus the way he spoke to them, and, and knowing that at the end, they ended up, you know, um, you know feeling Jesus. Um, that their mind was not in the right place. And the Bible says in the book of John 3, verse 17, um, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order for the word to be saved through him. Um, we see in Jesus the unexpected grace of God that was manifested to humanity that was supposed to redeem us back to the Father. That was what he came to do. But um, this group of people didn't quite recognize that. 
And if you look at also in verse 1, the Bible says that Jesus was wearied. Uh, for me, when I was reading this, it's quite, you know, struck me. I'm like, um, when we think about Jesus, when we think about who he is, I'm sure, you know, um, one of those, it doesn't come to mind that Jesus will be wearied. Um, because the Bible says that he, he had Johnny. And uh, I just imagine, you know, thinking about Jesus, you know, gasping for breath, you know, the give up life, uh, <laughs> trying to catch his breath. But that just hits me because it just tells us that uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our high priest. He's the one that we, we have a high priest in Jesus who is not removed from what we feel, from what we go through. He knows what we go through. He was here. Uh, we talk about God with us, God that came, you know, uh, and he feels what we feel. And it's very easy for us to say that, oh, yeah, Jesus, you know, he was God, so it was easy for him. Like the Bible says, he was wearied. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth being wearied from a journey. Um, and the Bible also tells us that Jesus came to the well and met a woman there. And the truth is, Jesus coming to the world is telling us that he's doing something new. He's doing something new and what, what God is doing or what Jesus is doing, um, it doesn't have anything to do with the past. What Jesus is doing concerns you and I. He's doing something new that concerns you and I. So um, Jesus went through Samaria. That's what the Bible tells us in um, verse one and uh, reading forward. So Jesus went through Samaria. But when you look at it, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. If you look at it, if you look at the relationships um, that the Jews had with Samaritans, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. It could have acted more like a Jew and just go through other ways. It's because the Bible tells us in a footnote of verse seven that um, the the um, the the, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So Jesus didn't act like a Jew. He had to go to Samaria. Um, and it also brings to mind, like, Jesus going to the cross. Um, Jesus went to the cross. At some point, just, you know, the experience that he went through, I thought it could have said he didn't want to go to the cross. He could have just decided not to go. But he went to the cross. Um, he went to the cross for you and I because he had you and I in mind. And yet you see Jesus again going to Samaria, which he didn't have to do. So we see uh, a situation where, you know, God is doing things that other people wouldn't want to do. Like the Pharisees, they didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. But Jesus here went to Samaria. He went to the cross for you and I. And just looking at the cross as it is, as a, oh, we have a cross here uh, as a torturing device. Um, I think the, 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 the cross is quite enigmatic for the Christian faith because it's kind of like, it's, it's for me, it's kind of like a, it gives us a diagonal of our relationship with God and also with the world around us. Medically, it's pointing to God and horizontally, uh, it's telling us how we should deal with those around us. Um, the Bible tells us in the book of um, Matthew 22, from verse 38 to 39, it said, you shall love the Lord. This was the, the, the Pharisees asking Jesus, 
who, uh, what is the greatest commandment? And this was Jesus' response. He said, if you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as you, as yourself. These two commandments depend on the Lord and the prophets. So Jesus being asked, what is the greatest commandment? And like I said, the cross, which symbolizes uh, a cultural device, points us that um, we need to be right with God. In the book of Matthew 5, and verse 6, the Bible says, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, when we talk about righteousness, righteousness are in two types. We talk about the righteousness that was uh, imputed into us by um, our belief in what Jesus, what Jesus came to do uh, by our faith. And we'll talk about that is kind of like positional righteousness, which is the vertical righteousness. And we also have the, uh, the horizontal righteousness, which is how you deal with people around you. A righteousness simply means correctness. When you deal with people around you, do you deal with them with, you know, do you deal with them rightly? Or you just want to, you know, uh, wiggle your way through or just cheat people and, 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 and get, and, and just, you know, have the best of them. But the Bible is telling us that we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Uh, the book of uh, John chapter 14 verse 12 tells us that uh, whoever believed in Jesus would do greater work. Jesus showed love. If you want to live in love, you want your life to be characterized by love, you have to Follow Jesus. And the Bible says that if you would, would believe in Jesus, you would do greater works. You would, you would love him like he did. You would love better than he did. And that's what the Bible tells us. So when we look at the story of the woman at the well, we kind of look at it from perspective. We see like it's more of a divine encounter. And when we look at the divine encounter as it is, it's not something that we can understand from the eye of the flesh. Um, I don't think I have the Bible passage. When you look at the, the uh, Samson, book of Judges 14, uh, the Bible says that um, Samson saw a woman, saw a Palestine woman, and he just took liking to this woman. He, he was like, okay, I want to marry this woman. <laughs> And he went to his parents who were like, uh, parents, I want to marry this woman, you know. And, and the parents were like, what, what? You know, you, you should know better, right? You know, you're not supposed to marry from outside. You should marry, just try to marry somebody from your, from your kindred, from your people. But the Bible tells us that um, in, in Judges, in, in, in that book, that they didn't know that it was a Lord that was, you know, uh, you know inspiring Samson to do that. Because the Lord seeks to have an occasion with the Philistine because God had, because at that time, the Philistine were kind of like lording over the people of Israel. So God wanted to do that. So the truth is when we, the ways of God are a lot different from the ways of men. The doings of God is a lot different from the, if you want to reason the things of God with the heart of flesh, you would not be able to understand it beyond human comprehension. The Bible says, just as the heaven is far from the earth, so is the ways of God bathrooms, you know, our ways. Just as the heaven is far from the earth, so is the thoughts of the Lord far from us. 
But the Bible says that the courts of the Lord towards us are of good and not of evil to bring us to an expected end. That is God's thought for us. So we should know that God desires to do good to us. Like I said, you know, the, the, the things of God cannot be understood with the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the heart of the flesh. You can't, you can't make sense of it. When, when Moses was given birth to, at that time, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you know, because he saw how the people of Israel was growing in Egypt, he was like, all firstborns should be killed. And imagine that uh, Moses' mother, all she thought she could do at that time to save Moses was to put Moses in a river. She put, she put him in a bathroom, put him in the river. But our human senses, when we think about that, that's already a death wish on its own. But very, I'm very sure that it was God that was putting it in the heart of the, of, uh, of, uh, the mother of Moses to do that. But we know what happened. But we look at the scenario critically, they, uh, Moses could have drowned or the, he would have been caught by uh, uh, the Egyptians. Or maybe some, something in the river or an animal in the river could have actually eat him up. But he ended up in the palace. So we see that God works in mysterious ways. We, we cannot really understand his ways. That's why he has promised his spirit, which will guide us into the path of truth. And that we see as we, we, when we read this uh, portion of the Bible. And the Bible says in Philippians 2, 13, that um, but it is he, it is God, who works in you what to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So it's God that's at work in you to do his will. You can't know God's will if you don't know him personally. So there's a need for you to know God personally. I want you to know that God sees you. <laughs> you cannot hide from God. He sees you where you are. He knows your heart. He knows what you're going through. The Bible says that in the book of Genesis 12, that God, you know, came to Abraham and told him to leave his kindred. It didn't quite, it didn't quite tell him where to go. He just told him to eat. That's what it, that's what it means when you work with God. Sometimes you don't, in your mind, you cannot figure it out completely. But you just trust that he's working in ways you cannot see. Uh, for me, th this story of, um, of Abraham is kind of like similar to when I left Nigeria. I wanted to come fully abroad. Um, I didn't quite have the money. I had to pay school fees and stuff. And I didn't have the money, but I just felt like God wanted me to put do it. I don't, I don't think I advise anybody to do that, to just, you know, without having a resource, just wanted to do stuff. But, you know, I just left. But when I got to uh, Estonia, where I studied, God, in, in a lot of ways, made provisions for me. That's how it is. And imagine me being in Estonia, I ended up in Iceland, and I'm here with you today preaching. That's what God can do. <laughs> he can, the most foolish things that didn't quite make sense. Even when I, when I got to Estonia, the first day I got to Estonia, and then the first week, I, I, I was telling myself that I made the most foolish decisions to talk. <laughs> That's what I was telling myself. But I didn't know that God would just, I didn't complain to anybody. I didn't inquire to anybody. But God just, in miraculous ways, made provision. That's the God that we have. He's a good God. Now, I want us to also look at, there are several ways we preach God enters into our lives. There are several ways, the doors that God used to enter into our lives. And it's good for us to look into some of these realities. And one of the things is that God uses his goodness 
to enter into our lives. If you look at the book of Luke, I don't think I have it there, sorry. <laughs> the book of Luke chapter five, maybe you can, uh, you can turn there, but um, I'm just going to paraphrase. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was with Peter in the boat and he told them to, um, he told Peter to cast the net. Peter, you know, he's a very experienced fisherman, I guess. He told Jesus that how we've caught online, we didn't cast nothing. <laughs> it doesn't make sense for you to tell me to do this right now. It didn't make sense to Peter. But he obeyed. He decided to do what Jesus said. And the Bible says he caught a great, that he, he had a great catch. So that even the net began to break. And then he had to call for support. There was one thing that really struck me when I was reading this, Peter said, he acknowledged to Jesus that he was a sinner. It was like, he, he decided to beg Jesus for forgiveness, but I'm a sinner. We see the goodness of God that was shown to Peter at that time, revealed his nature or revealed that, you know, <laughs> you, 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 should be, you, should, you should be dependent on God. You shouldn't be dependent on your skill or whatever you think you have. I, I think we, 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 we kind of like us. Coming to this place where we feel like we know so much, we, we don't really need people's counsel. We don't know the counsel of God. And, but we see Peter acknowledging that he was a sinner. He asked for forgiveness from Jesus at that time. And one of the ways that Jesus comes into our life is that he just brings hope. It brings hope. In John chapter 5, um, Jesus came to the pool of Bethesda. And there was a man that was paralyzed for 38 years. He was there. He, he, he has not been able to move. And there's, the Bible talks about there's a period of time that, you know, um, the water is stirred and then whoever goes into the water first, you know, gets cleansed. But this man has been there for 38 years. Nothing happened to him. But when Jesus encountered him, something changed. But I'm sure this man at that point, been in that way for 38 years, he has probably lost hope. He didn't quite talk to thought about the possibility of having to work again. But we see that when he encountered Jesus, you know, something changed. Jesus asked him, you know, the question that Jesus asked him, you know, like, um, <laughs> do you want to be made well? I'm like, <laughs> for me, I found that that question was really funny because, man, I would, I would, I would really want to be made well, Jesus. <laughs> so, but um, this man responded in faith, but, and then, you know, and God, Jesus told him to pick up his bed and, and walk, and then he did that. You know, and then he was, he was, he was made whole. Instantly, the Bible says instantly. I like when, when the Bible uses studying, um, that in prayers, it's just that instantly, you know, his change came. Um, well, I think one of the ways that Jesus also, you know, like God also comes into our lives is, you know, he reawakens our, consci our, our, our conscience. The Bible says in the book of John 6, 16, verse 8, that um, when the Spirit of God comes, um, yeah, verse 8, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And when the Spirit of God comes, it's going to convict us of everything that, you know, we'll do wrong. And then, how do we come out of that? Even when we, 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 when the Spirit of God convicts us that we, you know, we're living in sin, we have to confess our sins. We have to repent from them. And then we begin to see the power of God to break whatever uh, bondage of sin that we found ourselves in. 
one of the ways that Jesus also comes into our life is that he, when he comes, whatever fears in your life disappears. It takes away fear from us. We see that in the book of Luke chapter 12. On verse 7, the Bible tells us that the share of your head, the share of your head are numbered. <laughs> Imagine that. You know, God knows every strand of hair in your head. <laughs> That's mind-boggling, though. I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about it, it's just, it rattles my mind. And he thinks you are more valuable than many sparrows. Isn't this amazing? That you should only, you should only, the Bible says in the author in Luke 12, 32, that um, do not be afraid, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying that, my peace I live with you, not as the word gives. So do not let your heart be troubled. So when Jesus comes, and when God steps into your life, whatever atmosphere of fear around you should disappear. And one of the ways that, you know, God has so Jesus comes into our life is that he gives us understanding. Uh, the Bible says in the book of, of First John chapter 5, from verse 20, that, and when we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is a true God and eternal life. So one of the things that Jesus came to establish to us is that he um, came to make us understand what is true. And that what we see, we see when we read the book of John chapter 4. He came to establish truth. Job says that uh, it's the spirit of God that is in all. Uh, the bread of God that gives us understanding. So it's God's spirit of the work in us that helps us to understand the mysteries, the confounded mysteries as in, 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 uh, in the truth of God. Well, I want us to jump back to, uh, <laughs> to John chapter four. I think we've kind of like, you know, I just like we get away a little bit. And yeah, if we look at verse seven of, um, of John chapter four, the woman is saying that, you know, I, I, I don't understand. How can you, Jew, be talking to me? And this is quite profound because there was a lot of history. There was a lot of history behind this. When Jesus asked the woman for water, like, give me a drink. She cannot, what came to our mind is kind of like, you know, Jude, you, know, you guys, you know, you don't, you don't want to relate to that. But we see that when Jesus came, it was dismantling whatever social construct that was obtained by that time. By just talking to this woman, he, he just defied whatever it is that was happening at that time. Um, there's one, there's one, there's this group of Pharisees, they're called the bruised and uh, bleeding Pharisees. <laughs> this group of people that they, when they see a woman, you know, working, they look the other way. They don't, like in public, they don't want to look at a woman in public. And they're called bruised and bleeding Pharisees because when they, when they put their head down, they run into walls and then they get, they get hot. And then they tend to injure themselves because, you know, this, this is the culture at that time where you, you shouldn't talk to a woman in public, except maybe you probably have interest in her. But this was not what Jesus was trying to achieve at that time. 
So Jesus is kind of like just, you know, dismantling whatever social construct or taboos that were, you know, prevalent at that time. Whatever discrimination that was prevalent at that time. Jesus, in talking to this woman, was just pulling all those holes that were in existence. Jesus told her in verse 10 that if you knew the gift of God, what's the gift of God? The gift of God is Jesus coming to the world and to guarantee our salvation. And when we believe in him, true, when we believe in him through faith, we have eternal life. That is the gift of God. So when Jesus died, he resurrected and rose again, that is the symbol of our faith. Something happens. He told, he promised something, he promised something to us, and which is the spirit of God. And then when he told the woman in verse 10, he said, he quoted that, um, the water that I give you is living water. What's the living water? It was Jesus was talking about the spirit. Talking about a spirit that would, that would, that would, that would come upon, you know, uh, God's people. The Bible says that in the last days, he's going to pour the spirit upon our flesh. And the Bible says that in John 7, verse 7, uh, it said, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is said, this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were, were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when Jesus told her about living water, he was actually referring to the spirit of God that was going to come. That's going to come upon her. Uh, when we look at verse 11, for me, what I can deduce from this uh, verse is that Jesus was calling this woman from a shadow to the deep. <laughs> and the response that she gave Jesus was that, I don't understand. You're talking about living water? What does that mean? You don't even have a picture. You don't even have what it, what it, this well, as you look at it, was given to us by our father Jacob. It's very deep. You don't even have a picture to, so are you saying that you're greater than our father Jacob? It was questioning the authority of Jesus at that time because she didn't know she had a very shallow understanding of what Jesus was trying to say. But Jesus had very, was very patient with her. He didn't dismiss her because, oh, he didn't understand. Okay, let me just, you know, walk away. But no, Jesus was walking away true to her. That's how Jesus works with us. He's very patient with us. Even when we don't understand. And Jesus told her that whatever I'm going to do, it just, it's not going to just stand here. It's going to well on to eternal lives. And the woman said, the woman just, I guess she was kind of like, I don't know what his man is saying. I think the rest was kind of like, this guy is, he doesn't even know. Okay. Asa, I would like to have a drink of this water. I would like to have a drink of this water also so that I wouldn't have to come here and draw water anymore. She was, I guess, looking at the rest of her, she was a bit tired, you know, of maybe coming to the well over and over. But I think maybe in a way she was starting to get a drink of what Jesus was trying to say. But she said, give me the water. And Jesus responded. Jesus gave her the water. So <laughs> from this, uh, 
verse 16 of John chapter 14, that John chapter 4, uh, he says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband. And wow, the woman was like, okay, yeah. uh, I have no husband. And Jesus said to him, yeah, you're right in saying that you have no husband. For you've been, you've had five husbands. And the one you're now with is not your husband. What you said is true. Jesus, I encourage what the woman said is true. So the woman spoke the truth at this point. And then I read through like, I perceive that you're a prophet. But Jesus was more than a prophet. Jesus just gave her a word of knowledge. And in response to her, I gave her a bit of, you know, word of, uh, what it feels like to have a taste of living water. Jesus at that point exposed the marital troubles or challenge that she was having. So Bible didn't quite say why this woman had been married five times before. Maybe, you know, um, maybe the, the previous husband died and then, you know, there was no account of that. Or, and then we, the Bible also tells us that Jesus also said that the one you're with now, uh, you're not even married to that one. But I'm sure maybe the guy was even afraid, kind of like, hey, okay, maybe she, she knew about the woman's history. I don't know, like, even me, I'll be afraid. I, I'm just being human, I guess. Um, you know, somebody's been married before, you're not sure what happened to the person, you know, you don't want to meet, you know, you don't want to be the sixth person. Um, maybe that was the reason why the, 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 the sixth one didn't want to, you know, uh, they married to her, but Jesus exposed the wound of this woman. Jesus exposed the wound of this woman. It wasn't to, um, you know, make her feel bad, but it was, she, Jesus was exposing it so it could bring healing to it. It could bring healing to whatever problem that this woman had at the time. So, and then when we move forward to verse 20, and in the rest one, she said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Well, you say that in Jerusalem is a place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. You will worship what we know, but salvation is of the Jews. And we see that at this point, this is what was trying to deflect. He was trying to like go away from work. You know, Jesus was trying to play by her like, um, okay, you've been mad before. But she started to bring a little bit of theology and Jesus understands, you know, um, you know, what was happening, you know? And then when we, when we read this, Jesus was kind of like also trying to establish the truth. We see that in today's world, there's just this culture of relativism where, you know, even Christians, we kind of like, we come to the point where we believe that, you know, there are other means that, you know, people can also come to God. But that's not the truth. Jesus actually established the fact that here, that salvation is of a Jew. Jesus dispelled whatever falsehood that, you know, this woman, you know, might have been taught. So she might have known in the past, known in the past, that salvation is of the Jews. That is the truth, not what she thought about. So Jesus was providing clarity as to what it means to have true salvation. The Jews were the agency that, you know, God used to bring salvation to the world, but that was not where God wanted it to start. 
He wanted to do more. He wanted to bring all to himself. And in reference to what Jesus said to her is that the time that's coming is now is the time where you don't have to go to the mountain. Uh, at that point, you have to go to the mountain of Mount Gerizim to worship. But you don't have to go to the mountain anymore. Even you don't, even Jerusalem, you know, you don't even need to go to Jerusalem anymore. That's not, uh, we're going to move past that. The truth is that um, God is the spirit. And if we must worship him, there has to be truth has to be established. Not what you thought you knew, but what is the truth? That salvation is of the Jews. So Jesus at this point dispelled whatever falsehood or whatever, you know, um, or found the truth that she felt that she knew. So one thing I've come to understand that when the truth of God comes, it takes away whatever darkness that we've been in. And then he exposes, even in our we, he exposes every weakness that we have. He exposes our weakness, not just to expose it so we can be vulnerable, but so that we can be, be awake, so that we can stand and trust God through those processes, even in our weaknesses. The Bible says, the weapon, the weapon of our warfare, no carnal, but they are mighty true God to the pulling down of strongholds. So the weapon that we have is not of the flesh, it's of the spirit. Uh, and the ending part, I like this part, verse 25 and 26. Uh, this is where Jesus revealed himself to the woman. And the woman said, mm, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he's going to tell us all sins. Jesus said, I am he. The Bible makes us understand that you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And Jesus said this to this woman at this time. And I didn't quite cover when you read the precedent, you know, the, the full of uh, verses of this chapter. We see what happened after this woman, you know, um, knew, come to understand that Jesus is the Christ, that he's a Messiah, that they've been, you know, they've been talked about, that they were expecting. She ran into the city and where she was trying to deflect that, you know, and trying to use religion to cover it up, she went to the city and said, come see this man that told me everything about her, myself. It means that whatever Jesus said was the truth. Jesus really, really hit home with saying that you've been married before and this is, this is your struggle. Jesus exposed the wound and then Jesus, you know, kind of healed her and addressed whatever problem that she was facing at that time. And that gave her freedom. And then she, the truth of who or how we ought to worship also was established. She ran into the city. So when we have a one-on-one -on -one experience with Jesus, he changes our lives. It gives us, um, it gets us to the place where, you know, we, 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 we begin to work for God without knowing it because the change has come. So this woman had a life-changing encounter that didn't just affect her, but affected the community that she was in. Um, I'm just going to try to end here. I want us to make, I want, I want us to understand that faith and practice go hand in hand. <clears throat> um, how do we, 
how do we grow in faith? The Bible says faith caused by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the truth is we have to act actively engage the word of God. We have to actively, you know, stay on the word. And then when we actively stay on the word, we begin to see the steadfastness. We begin to see the goodness of God. We begin to see uh, the patience. Uh, we begin to see the power of God being demonstrated. We're going to see that uh, God is long-suffering. He's really patient with us. And we also begin to see who we are in Christ. It is the word of God that has the capacity to change us. And then another thing that we need, we need to do is that we have to be obedient. The gap between us actively studying the word of God and seeing the power of God demonstrated is our obedience. When we obey, when we actively study the word of God and obey, we begin to see the power of God demonstrated. And beyond just actively engaging the word of God and then beyond just being obedient, we have to also surround ourselves with uh, or build the right relationship. Surround ourselves with the right people because you are more alert, you know, like the people you spend time with. So I want us to spend time with studying God's word actively engage God's words. Now, another thing that we should do is that we need to stop our idols. There are things that kills our appetite for God. Bible says in Matthew 5 or 6, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. So we have to sustain that hunger. There are few things that sustain that guarantees a child would leave after he comes out of the mother's womb. Is one is that he's able to breathe out of his mother's womb. And the second one is that he has this unquenchable hunger that keeps going. You know, this 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 the silver when they want to eat, the silver ashes, you know, they have this hunger that doesn't so that that's the hunger we need to have when we approach God. But we need to sustain um, the power of God in our lives. We have to have this unquenchable hunger. And even in our lowest point, where do we run to? Do we turn to things that do not satisfy or do we turn to God? Jesus told the woman that whatever, the water I'm going to give you will quench whatever thirst that you have. Permanently, and it will well up in you eternal life. That's what Jesus wants to give us today. Uh, and I pray that we will come to him humbly and embrace his truth. And just as there's true worshipers, there's also false worshipers. True worshipers are people that are led by the Spirit of God. Bible says that from what we just read, our God is a spirit. And if you must worship him, you must, you must worship him in spirit. In spirit. It means that you have to come to a place where, you know, you have to be where God is in spirit. I pray that God will help us to
understand his truths. I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, I just bless your mighty name. I just give you glory for your truth, your word, um, this truth and his life. Um, your word is able to give us an inheritance with you. Your word is able to give us eternal life. Um, if you actually open our eyes to see that there, you were good to us, and when you're good to us, um, it's without reservation. You daily load us your benefits. And we pray, oh God, that you would help us to come to terms with this truth. And whatever idols that we have, whatever things that we might have been holding on to in the past that, you know, that has prevented us from, you know, worshiping you the way we ought to worship. We pray, oh God, that you would um, break down every of those strongholds and our eyes of understanding be enlightened and we will humbly worship you uh, because you are a God of possibilities. We just bless you and we just give you glory. And I pray, oh God, that you will continue to grow us from strength to strength. The Bible says that when we fall in the field of us, we are strength this small. But I pray, oh God, that you would help us to actively engage your word. I pray that you will cost us, you will help us to be obedient to your truth. Um, but when we obey you, we begin to see your, your hand upon our lives. I pray that we will see your hand mightily upon our lives. Help us to come to terms with this truth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Music